Good morning and welcome. This episode is about to get started. But before that, a few things you should know. First of all, this show is brought to you for free. To support, please consider sharing the episode with your friend, leaving a great review or signing up for my bi-monthly top five email. What is it? It's a free email that I craft twice a month and send out to thousands of you where I share what inspired me recently, books and film that had an impact on me, but also gear and tips and things I've been thinking about lately that really impacted me in a way. If you too want to join in on the fun, please visit ptl.fm forward slash top five, T-O-P five, and you will be in for the next edition. Now, last but not least, all podcast show notes are available at ptl.fm forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for being here and let's get started. Good morning, podcast, and welcome to the Pietilla Metro. I hope you have an amazing day and that you're ready for yet another amazing guest because today we're going to be diving into the world of storytelling, how to tell the best stories in this world, and obviously, what does vulnerability has to do with all that and how can it help us become better storytellers? For this, we have an amazing guest. His name is Max Lowe. Max is a director, filmmaker, and photographer that received the Young Explorer grant from National Geographic in 2012 and since then has worked with companies and magazines like Science Magazine, Men's Journal, Outside Magazine, Eddie Bauer, Yeti, Red Bull, The North Face, all the big brands that you can imagine. He's traveled extensively around the world to tell those stories, to bring them to the screen for us to be able to get an insight into the life of others and inspire our own. And most importantly, recently he's been working on a short film with National Geographic about his own family history, which is very intricate, has a lot of dynamic, some dramas, some avalanches. I won't tell you too much, we'll dig into it. It is definitely something that is worth hearing. And what is beautiful is that you will see how deep Max had to go within himself and his discomfort to actually bring that documentary to life, which will come out very soon. The documentary is called Thorn. I will drop some links in the show notes for you to discover a little bit more about Max's work, his future film, and the show notes will have everything that we might mention right there. So if you're ready to dive into vulnerability, storytelling, Iraq stories, how he went back with veterans for a healing process, the best gear he's been using or would recommend to anyone for the best stories, and the power of emotions in our art, well, let's welcome Max to the podcast and let's dive right into it. Welcome to the podcast, Max. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I'm pumped to have you here because you were introduced to me through one of our mutual friend, Alex, and he was really excited. And he's like, you gotta, you gotta talk to Max. You gotta get him on the podcast. He's doing like incredible stuff. And, uh, and I think, yeah, his story is worth sharing. So uh, it's an honor to have you here. And he told me, and I, I want to start a little bit of a, in a weird way, but he told me about one of your I don't know about secret, but I haven't seen it on any of your profiles, secret skills around music. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Ooh, would that be the violin? Yeah. yeah. It had a special name. The fiddle? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, uh, I grew up um, in a family where we were required to learn an instrument, whatever it might be. And uh, so I chose the violin because my dad played the violin. Um, I thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, I started playing, uh, probably doing um, lessons from when I was maybe like six, five or six years old. 
played in some fiddle groups and I would go to competitions at like county fairs. And it was a whole thing that was part of my youth. And uh, yeah, played in the orchestra, symphony orchestra in high school, through high school. I still have a violin that I pick up from time to time. Something that I did a little bit uh, more here while I was in quarantine last spring, just out of pure boredom. Just like trying to engage my mind and find creativity where I could. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's one thing that probably lesser known about me. Maybe not a secret, but. Yeah. Uh, how, what's the difference between like the violin, the, the fiddle? What's, what, is there a difference or why is it called a fiddle? Uh, it's the same instrument. So there's okay. no difference between a violin and a fiddle. It's just how you play it. So violin, oh. you know, is technically what the instrument's called. Mm -hmm. And to, like fiddle would be more like a verb, like to play fiddle music. Mm. It's kind of oh. like the slang terminology of like playing bluegrass or folk music, uh, you know, that more contemporary style um, yeah. outside of the classical sphere. Like you would call it a fiddle or a fiddle player. Oh, that's so interesting. I'm so I'm totally like um, because I come from France. I'm not really exposed to that like language around music that mm -hmm. is completely different from what I was taught at the time. And since I haven't evolved in any music background, I'm always like fascinated by that. <laughs> it's it's one of those things that you wish you had done when you were a kid because now it's like I don't I want to pick it up, but you don't want to. So. Uh, <laughs> So no, tell it's, me. it's fun to have the skills for sure when I find the time and the uh, and the uh, inspiration to pick it up again. Sure. How how did I love what you said about like picking it up during like quarantine and stuff? How did can you just run us through because you you're always on adventures and like shooting exciting stuff. What went through your mind when it hit and when suddenly like from day one to day two? Someone's like, oh, everything's stopped or like we can't go out anywhere. And like what happened in your in your sphere? I mean, I kind of uh, regressed to this like point in my life before I had caught this bug of constantly like trying to push forward to the next thing. And that's kind of like a state of life that I've existed in now, you know, pretty much you know, through through college, you know, you have this path set out for you. I feel like it took me back to almost like a place where I was in high school, where you don't have any like lofty high ended goals that you have to look forward to. Mm -hmm. I had just wrapped up this big project that, you know, is the largest thing that I've ever accomplished in my career. Um, a feature documentary film. We had just finished the edit of that right before the quarantine happened. And so I kind of just went into the space of uh, just letting myself do whatever, you know, came to mind on a day-to-day -day basis and not really setting high-ended goals for myself on a day-to-day -day basis, which honestly felt super refreshing. It was kind of nice to just live day-to-day -day and yeah. cook tasty food and play my violin and read lots of books and Know, play video games with my little brothers like we had done back in high school and uh yeah it was it was a major like reset um which i, I feel like a ton of people had in a lot of different ways kind of depending on your experience and where you were in it but yeah 
Yeah. Um, definitely weird, but good in some ways. And it sounds like after a big feature documentary, uh, it's, it's also, I, I imagine it's good to just wind down a bit and then yeah. on to the next thing. Which, yeah. which documentary yeah. would that be? So I can link it up for people. Sure. Uh, well, it's, it's not yet released. Um, Ooh. it was supposed to premiere at Telluride film festival in September hmm. and, uh, the release of the film was postponed um, because of COVID. Uh, okay. The film festival that we were supposed to premiere at was canceled and pretty much all in-person events um, around the release of the film wouldn't have happened. Yeah. So uh, between our, our team, the production company that I was working with and National Geographic Channel, which was our um, production partner on the film, uh, we all decided to hold it for a year and premiere the film this coming September. Nice. So yeah, it will be coming out um, at film festivals and hopefully in some select screening uh, opportunities at theaters uh, this fall. And then it will be released uh, to a broader audience uh, on National Geographic Channel via streaming next uh, late, late this year, early next year. Okay. But, uh, that, yeah, that, that must be, how, how did you, how did that make you feel when it was postponed? Were you like, is it, yeah, is it like, I mean, are you relieved that you have more? I, I don't, I feel like I would be split between I'm relieved. It's, I don't have to think about it right now. And a part of me is like, I really wanted it out. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the part of myself that, you know, I was referencing earlier when I allowed myself to kind of drop into the state of not thinking about what's next, you know, the part of me that is always thinking about what's next as a, freelance storyteller filmmaker and director and photographer like you always are thinking about what's coming down the pike and what your next job is going to be and what the next opportunity is going to be and you know to to complete a project put it out in the world and see the feedback and recognition from that project and then kind of like use that to move on to the next thing is kind of how you operate and so for me to have completed this project that is the biggest thing I've done in my career. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a story about my family story. Um, so very personal in nature, uh, to shelf that was definitely a blow to take for sure. Um, but in that step back, I've always, I've also, you know, come to see that there's been a lot of silver linings around that decision as well. And, you know, being forced to take that space has given me time to do things with my life that I probably wouldn't have otherwise spend a lot of time with my family, a lot of time with my brothers and uh, find a girlfriend for the first time in a few years. Um, yeah, do projects in, in my home turf here in Montana that you know, I, I never probably would have found time to do otherwise. Um, yeah. So yeah. would you, would you, I don't know if you, it's one of those weird questions. Um, if you had to do it again and you could choose like going through with that quarantine event or skipping it, um, would you take it again? Or do you think it's meaning like, would you th say it's a positive outcome? I don't know. That's a tough question. I mean, I think that I don't have any regrets Yeah. and what has come of it as of now, but, uh, you know, if I had the choice to go back and, you know, obviously for the 
betterment of all mankind in the world, you know, ha- avoiding a global pandemic. Yeah. It's definitely the choice I would make. But <laughs> if we're talking okay about just my, no, it's okay. <laughs> just, just my personal uh, impact, like, I don't know. I mean, I think that I had a lot of expectations around what the release of the film would look like before mm-hmm. COVID and everything that has come from it became a reality. And all of that's changed now. The landscape mm-hmm. of how you how you put a project out into the world has changed drastically and in ways that, you know, probably won't ever revert to themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's it's a different space. And I think yeah. everyone got confused for the longest time. And I, I feel yeah. like things are starting to, like, slowly, people are slowly trying to make sense of, of like, better or, like, different ways to do things. But... Yeah, it's still it's still very 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 confusing. I feel <laughs> yeah. in that space. Well, why don't we yeah. just rewind to? Uh, I kind of rewind to your original story. Like, what's volume zero of Max Life? Like, how did you? How, uh, what's how did you end up where you are now? Yeah, I mean, um, I'm the son of uh, a mountaineer and an artist. Um, my dad was killed in an avalanche when I was 11 years old in the Tibetan Himalaya and his best friend uh, and climbing partner, um, Conrad Anker, uh, who was there with him in the avalanche and survived, ended up coming back and marrying, adopting me and my brother. So he's now my stepdad. I call him my dad. Um, and uh, so I've come up in this story that is pretty well known in the climbing world. Um, and that, you know, this, this film project torn that we've been talking about that'll be coming out this year is um, in a lot of ways about my experience of it, of living through that story and mm-hmm. observing it as a story and by means of making this film coming to understand how that impacted my perspective on my own life and my control in my own story and my place within this story. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty wild childhood growing up in this family of mountaineers and adventurers and um you know i i lived this life where my dad would go off to climb the highest mountains in the world and tell stories about them so it was just kind of ingrained in me from a from a very young age that you know storytelling was this amazingly powerful thing that inspired people to push themselves to find the best within themselves um And I think that that is kind of at the root of why I ended up taking the path that I did. And um, you know, in high school, I found photography uh, and I was in the high school newspaper, I ended up being the editor in chief and really liked um, the journalistic style of storytelling that I found there and uh, wanted to go and study journalism in college, but kind of made the uh, decision that I probably would never be able to make a career or really get paid for doing storytelling. Mm. It seemed like this thing that, you know, so many people aspired to do that there would never be any space for me in that sphere. So do you recall, sorry to interrupt, do you recall a specific event teacher or like sign that were, that gave you that belief? Um, I mean, I think it was a culmination of a lot of different, people just telling me that if I wanted to do it, that I should just do it. Um, 
my high school journalism teacher, Mrs. Klug, Hillary Klug. Um, you know, maybe she saw some potential in me that uh, nobody else did, which is why she made me the editor-in-chief of the newspaper and gave me that responsibility. <laughs> uh, I'd be curious to ask her um, because I, I don't think I was the most extraordinary student in high school. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's when you're handed those opportunities and you know you either drop them or you run with them. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the defining moments, and um, you know, in this sphere especially. But I think, and whatever you might pursue with your life, like someone else telling you you've done a good job, someone yeah. else you look up to, or that has more credibility in the space, like coming and telling you that you can do this, and um, you've done a good job in what you've done so far. It, it goes at an immense distance, and. Um, I credit a lot of my confidence and success and people, you know, stepping in and believing in me and giving me opportunities um, because it is, it, it's such a personal, it's such a personal journey, storytelling, yeah. I think, you know, it all comes down to believing that the things that are in your mind and the things that you see from your unique perspective have value mm. in that unique perspective. Um, yeah, it is. It- well, it strikes it strikes me with the what you said about the teacher. We don't realize how much impact some of those people can have in our life, and also the foresight, or I don't know what you call it, like insight, foresight, or just like intuition about actually giving chances to certain or like some kids. When you probably as a kid, you're like, "Why me?" <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. it's like, what makes you think that? And yeah, it's it's pretty powerful. Um, and yes, such small like things, or you you might think as small, can have such a profound impact on on how it creates and shapes your future. Totally, yeah. I mean, it's just it's little things. Like one conversation can make all the difference. Um, and it's wild thinking about that as you move through life and interact with people, and um, it really draws uh, draws a pretty sharp line on the fact that. Um, any action can have an immense reaction and impact. It, it's yeah. I, I just had um we I met the owner of a of a former three star Michelin restaurant that opened a new one and the chef Curtis Duffy, his story is, is pretty wild also. And and the one person that I would say according to um to him and the I mean to the story and what I got from the people around him was like there's this one teacher also that <laughs> actually had a profound impact on him and was always backing it up, although he was clearly not the students that like the exam, the exemplar student, but she will say she saw something in it at the time in him at the time and always tried to push that. Um, so, and, and now if you look at 20 years later or 15 years, like the guy gets this three star Michelin, which is absolutely yeah. insane achievement uh, in that world. So I don't know, those, those people are like, <laughs> they don't get enough credit, I think. Uh, yeah, influencing, yeah. Our, influencing our kids, you know? <laughs> totally. No, I mean, they don't. I think teachers are, are some of the most important people's, people in our society for that reason. Yeah. So you're editor-in-chief in high school, and, and then what happens? <laughs> um, yeah, so I graduated high school and got into a couple different universities and considered studying journalism, but decided to and study 
instead pursue uh, international business and marketing. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, studying business seemed like a much more uh, prudent choice of career path. Um, but I continued shooting photos throughout my college experience because um, by that point it was something that I just really loved to do and uh, something that brought me a lot of joy and it was a tool by which I could access a lot of these worlds that I wouldn't otherwise have been able to see in the ways that I was seeing with my camera in hand um, you know, from being able to work for some small publications in, in Salt Lake and you know, go be on the on the front row of live music shows and interview bands and shoot portraits mm-hmm. of musicians that I looked up to and go be on the edge of the pipe at the X games. And, um, you know, it, I wasn't getting paid necessarily for any of these jobs, you know, I was getting paid in like pizza coupons and stuff. But, <laughs> um, for me, it was all about the experience. Um, yeah. storytelling was a way by which I could open up a door into these worlds that, and otherwise, I I would have been far away from experience them in an intimate sense, and um, that was just pure magic to me. So, um, yeah, I, I I recognized that fact and recognized that it was something that I love to do, and so I just continued doing it and surrounding myself with people who knew it better than I did, and um, again instilled confidence in me that I could keep keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and um, when I graduated college, I uh, moved home to Montana um, and got a job as a server at a restaurant here and uh, skied all winter. And um, it was while I was home uh, that winter that I went to this talk and seminar at, at Montana State University, the college here in Bozeman, um, put on by National Geographic. Um, and they were discussing this opportunity called the Young Explorers Grant, which mm-hmm. um, has gone by a few different names over the years now since I uh, first interacted with it. But it's uh, you know offered to people who are kind of emerging in their career and aspiring young storytellers. Um, and I talked to some of the folks there who were presenting about it, and they um, you know they were working. National Geographic was working with my dad, Conrad, uh, on an yeah. expedition to Everest that following spring. And so they um, encouraged me to try and come up with an idea and apply for the grant. Um, you know, mm. That wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was enough to go off and, and spend some time somewhere cool and do something if you were able to come up with an idea that um, could make its way uh, up the chain of command there. And uh I ended up pitching pitching an idea to go to Nepal, um, and it's a place that my family has pretty deep roots. You know, both my fathers climbed in Nepal and Himalaya there throughout their careers, and we had visited there uh, as a family prior um, uh, when my parents opened up this climbing school for the Sherpas over there in memory of Alex. Um, yeah. And so I sent off this application uh, for this project that came up with over in Nepal, looking at the um, social and cultural history of the Sherpa uh, and how that had been impacted by the climbing, um, mm-hmm. you know, the popularity of climbing in Himalaya. And, you know, at, at that point still, you know, I had put this out there, but never really expected to see anything from it. 
um, you know, figured I would just keep plugging away and shooting photos for fun and work as a waiter for the rest of the winter and plan to go travel in India um, with some friends that spring. And uh, it was while I was over in India that I got the email that I had gotten this grant and um, ended up going straight from uh, straight from India up to Nepal and spending uh, almost three months there working on this project with National Geographic, which was you know, a mind-blowing dream come true for a young person in storytelling. Who had, you know, yeah. reading, reading the pages of National Geographic on my grandparents, you know, they had the huge collection like people yeah. did back in the day. And uh, yeah, it totally changed my perspective on what I could do if I put my mind to it. I think that that was kind of like the biggest hurdle in um, where I've ended up today is finding that confidence and belief that I could do it. I could go and make this happen. I could be a photographer and a storyteller. And um, yeah, is it's that, the is first that, step in many. Would that be like, I'm always curious about that. Not one moment, but that maybe period where you, you feel like I've, I've had it. That's why I'm curious about others. I'm like, am I the only one? Was there a moment where you're like, you're picking up your camera or you're like standing on a rock, a mountain, like on the side of the road, shooting a concert, whatever, where you're like, oh shit, this is actually happening. That could actually work as my life thing. Was that, was that, <laughs> did you have a moment like that? Was it that moment when you got the grant or? I don't know if it was one moment in particular. Um, you know, I think it's, there's highs and lows uh, yeah. and confidence and belief in yourself, you know? Uh, and I think when the, when the highs hit, it's this amazing feeling of belief in yourself that is hard to find anywhere else. You know, yeah. when you, when you're doing something that you love and you're backed up by people who tell you that you should be doing that, um, enough so that you can find that belief in yourself. Um, and I think that coming back from that trip in Nepal and, uh, you know, I got another job just in Bozeman that summer as like a barista or something like that. Um, and a friend of mine who I'd been in Nepal with and worked with another photographer, you know, I was in touch with him after the trip and he's like, do you, do you want to be a photographer? Just decide that's what you're going to be. You can't yeah. half-ass it. You have to, mm. you have to make that the whole, uh, the whole objective and yeah. put your all into it. So I quit quit this job and that's the last uh you know that's the last job that i worked outside of this industry <laughs> that's awesome yeah and um, just kind of started to make it work now is kind of the point where i just was like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna say i'm a photographer you know i think there's like yeah. this weird gray area where you don't want to say you're a photographer you don't want to say you're a director because you feel like you haven't really earned it yeah uh, <laughs> or whatever it might be But uh, that was that moment I chose to like tell myself that it was okay. That I <laughs> could say that's what I was going to do. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those. Uh, yeah, it's too early, too early. And after a while, you're like, you know what? <laughs> let's let's just say it. Let's yeah. just say it. It's it's gonna make it. It's gonna make it more real. Um, yeah. And that that's that's pretty. I, I'm so curious. Like, so you do that project in Nepal, um, and then you you go home. You're like, I'm gonna quit, right? I'm gonna go all into it. Did you know what to do, where to start, or, or were you like, you spend like six weeks on a on a white paper and just trying to figure out how it's gonna work? 
I mean, I kind of just started pursuing any and all opportunities and mostly through personal connections. Um, I started pitching stories to local publications here in Bozeman, um, you know, a huge, uh, huge part of the opportunity that I got from receiving that grant from National Geographic was um, being put in touch with people at the at the partner side of National Geographic, which mm. you know runs all their media, uh, and I worked very closely with this woman, Marian Potts, um, while I was in Nepal on this grant project. Um, and she was running National Geographic Adventure at the time, and uh, so I stayed in touch with her, and you know was just pitching her stories, and you know, I was kind of just like looking for any and any and all opportunities and leads that I could find to come up with cool stories that would fit within these, uh, within these, um, places that I, that I'd found along, along my route of getting to that point. Um, and, you know, started working with some local brands and branched out into shooting some video with my DSLR. You know, I kind of just started saying yes to every opportunity that came my way, yeah. uh, regardless of whether or not I had the, the skill set to actually follow through on it. And I think by sheer will of will and force of will, like I just was able to accomplish things that I probably shouldn't have been able to. Otherwise. That's, but, that's the uh, best camera in the world. The camera that has the w- w- incredible will button. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's kind of just like, one giant leap to the next, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and that hasn't really changed up until this point. You know, I'm still coming out of finishing this, this feature doc project. Like, you know, I don't know what's next. Yeah. Um, especially in this weird space that we're all in right now where, you know, it's, it's our, our ambitions and goals were kind of like slowed way down. Yeah. It, it's And yeah, slow down sometimes changed <laughs> sometimes you're like oh maybe that's not what i want to do <laughs> it's 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 that weird like like you said uh it's like we had pause in in time and normal normalcy or what we define as normal that i feel in my circle at least a lot a lot of people to actually reflect on what they're doing how they're doing it and and why um yeah we'll see what comes out of it uh, it's not over for now but um, yeah, I'm very curious. Do Do you remember when, like, when you say yes to all opportunities, and it's something I get a lot from people when I'm on workshops or like students or people just DM me on Instagram. They're like, "Oh, I don't know how to start, where to start, what to do." And I'm, the advice is always, "Well, just try everything. You'll see what sticks." But do you remember one experience where you're like, "Oh, I said yes, but like it kind of bit you in the." In the butt after you're like, uh oh, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm like, no, that's not working out. Um, I don't know if there's like, I feel like I'm lucky because in my career, I've always surrounded myself with people who kind of filled in the gaps of where mm. I didn't have information. I've yet to have like a total epic failure. Um, you know, I've definitely had a lot of failures along the way and learned a lot of things the hard way, <laughs> but uh, there's not like one thing that I like set out to attempt and, and failed in doing mostly because, um, I found 
immense success and uh, and joy and, and information gathered for myself from surrounding myself with with people who are you know just more skilled than myself <laughs> um, and together as a team you make it work you know? yeah um, and I think that that's it's it's an important part of being a storyteller in whatever format you're attempting to pursue um, yeah. it's a hard thing to go alone yeah and I think creativity is a collaboration when it comes down to it you know you're inspired by something whether yeah. that's another artist's work that you admire or someone that you are lucky enough to spend time with um and for me i've just found amazing amazing friendships and uh, all sorts of incredible opportunities through these through these relationships with uh with peers who have brought so much to my life and my endeavors um, it's such a it's such a good like teaching or lesson uh, i feel for anyone because like you said you don't know how to do it just say yes just find the right people to help you do it <laughs> yeah and, and i think a lot of people are kind of afraid to ask for help mm. um, would you have a would you have a method that you like to use uh when approaching people for help and you know they're better or yeah well i mean be hacks but yeah you know reaching out to someone who's just like far and above you and what it's like me reaching out to Matthew McConaughey or something and asking yeah. him if he wants to make a movie with me. It's not within the, within any sort of sphere of reality um, that I'm going to be able to attain, but you know, you, who knows? You, hey, who knows? It's so <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, but uh, you know, I think it, it's just like friends of mine, people within my sphere, uh, people who are kind of in that same level of their career, mm -hmm. but that might be, you know, more advanced at you in one way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, and you have to realize that you know, everybody's looking for those, for those interactions, those personal mm -hmm. interactions. And I think when you're able to find them within a creative pursuit, those are some of the most amazing relationships you'll have. And so you, know, you, you can reach out, to people and you know you're offering something to them as well as asking something from them you yeah. know um, by giving your time and giving your energy to that relationship uh, you're bringing something to the table as well and it's just something you need to remember i think yeah that that yeah that makes sense it's it's all it's always those those people that that will help and um And you will help too. I feel. I feel like it's not one one directional. And if it is, maybe something's. It's more like a mentorship. But if, mm -hmm. I feel like we bring also. You know, like I have friends here, and and at first it starts like nothing. You just go shoot for fun, and then someone has a project, and actually he doesn't know how to do the right thing or doesn't have the right lens, and as it just stumble, like just keeps rolling balls, and now we're like pitching a big project. You know, it's just and you're like, exactly. oh, how did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it's it's pretty wild how quickly one thing leads to the next. You know, yeah. if if you put the right energy and intent into things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how how do you? What drives you lately in terms of storytelling? Is it? Um, are you looking? What what kind of stories are you really passionate or like really trying to, to advance on? Uh, I mean, I think that. Uh, 
vulnerability and empathy is kind of a major theme that I'm trying to weave into mm-hmm. most of the stories that I'm looking to hopefully tell going forward. You know, that was a major theme in this doc project that I just wrapped up both for myself as well as asking that of all of my family members who were the subjects of the film. And I think that the more we can teach empathy and vulnerability, probably the better off people are going to be in general. I know that the most powerful, impactful stories that I've observed are ones that um, exude that power, vulnerability, Mm -hmm. you know, and inspire it in me. And so that's something that I've identified that I would really like to try and convey more of my storytelling. Um, and then also, you know, I'd, I'd like to tell more stories that hopefully have a bigger impact beyond just me. Um, mm-hmm. I directed a short documentary film two years ago now that was released last year about polar bear conservationists, scientists in the Arctic and the work they're doing around polar bear conservation and, addressing the impacts of climate change on a broader level and um, working on that story definitely opened my eyes to the fact that there's people all over the world who are throwing their lives on the line you know because they love the work they do but also because they believe that it will make an impact and i think that Mm -hmm. to partner with people like that and try and find a megaphone to give them uh, a bigger voice to Mm-hmm. to state those things that they're trying to get out into the public space. And that's something that I'd really like to put more energy into um, because, makes- yeah, I mean, the world's changing so much, you know, and faster and faster by the year. Yeah. And if I could look back on my career in 50 years and say that I tried to be a part of a, a change that I believed in, you know, that seems like something you could be proud of. Yeah, that's important. Like doing doing things that actually you feel proud of in a way, yeah, and that yeah. you're like passionate about. I want to jump back on the vulnerability topic you you just mentioned. I'm always having a hard time either explaining or just defining. How would you define vulnerability for most people listening? Like, what would be an example of being vulnerable? I there's this fine line between. It's showing your emotion. That, that's just in my head. And when I talk with people, I'm, I'm confused. And they're like, well, how do you express vulnerability? And I have a hard time sometimes saying it just because, yeah, it's it's either sounds like, no, you should express all your emotions or you should show when you're weak or how would you define it? I mean, I, I think that um, it comes down to this like weird balance between uh your ability to empathize with the people around you and recognize what is going to break down those boundaries of communication that might exist between you and uh, people you're trying to communicate with and impact uh, and ego. You know, our egos mm. are constantly trying to <laughs> shield <is> us, <laughs> shield us from any sort of, you know, defamation or, you know, painful, relief that we might push ourselves towards. Um, And it's something that, you know, I observed in a pretty raw way in making this film. You know, I set out this goal for myself of discussing things that were uncomfortable that I had never discussed because I didn't want to put myself in that compromised position 
mm. with people I loved. You know, it's it's easier to just avoid the hard conversations, and whether that's with your family member, you know, talking about something that you feel strongly about with them that you know is is a tough thing to discuss, or you know, talking with a friend about something you see in them, like an addiction or something like that, or talking with your boss about the way that your business operates. You know, yeah. those things are like tough things to broach because you don't want to upset the status quo and put yourself in this point of failing or succeeding. You know, mm -hmm. it's safer to just kind of like remain below the surface and kind of keep cruising on. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, we really only truly grow when we put ourselves at risk a little bit. Do you have a do you have a technique, mental technique, or like is there something you tell yourself before you have those discussions? And I imagine you must have had a lot of them for your <laughs> for your film. So, like, what's your what's your mental talk when you when you go into into that? Um, I think it is just empathy, like just trying to remind yourself that whatever you're approaching and trying to break down is much more than just your perspective mm -hmm. um, and trying to stay out of that, like single, single track state of mind that, you know, yeah. what you see and feel and experience is the truth, mm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's so easy to feel that way and yeah. experience life that way. And, you know, it's a huge issue right now in our society. Mm -hmm. you know, we're more divided than we've ever been because people are unwilling to think about the fact that we are small. And yeah. even though we might be experiencing things in a heightened sense, like we're just a piece of this larger thing. And we need to yeah. look at the, at the larger thing to really get the full picture. Yeah, especially in the, in the media we consume any form of it is you really usually very good at reinforcing any kind of belief we have <laughs> so if you want to pretend that you and actually for anyone listening it's a fun game if you want to if you feel very strong about a topic start researching the opposite of what you yeah. believe. like start yeah. researching that and see what happens in the ne in the next few weeks of all the content you're going to be seeing around the opposite side view versus what you were seeing before. And that's, I just find it very eye-opening. You're like, whoa, this is kind of creepy. But yeah. that's, how, that's, <laughs> that's how it works. It's like you're being self-reinforced into your beliefs, which just leads to that 50-50, right? 50% believe one thing and 50% believe B, uh, basically. Yeah, I, yeah. I love how you express like trying to think about the bigger picture like or that bigger part when we go into that because as you mentioned it's very easy to just get trapped into well you know it's it's me i they don't understand me anyway it's pointless to to talk about it or it's pointless for me to express it because it's not going to resonate or, or whatever um do you think we have a fear what do you think we're fearful of when talking about that i, I always ask my question what what are we really afraid of i mean I think we're probably afraid that our reality is wrong, you know, or the way that we see the world might change in a drastic way mm. and change is scary. You know, Yeah. our comfort is based on like a status quo uh, and whether that be an emotional status quo or a physical one, 
political one, religious one, whatever it might be, you know, like it's when we have to face the unfortunate understanding that we have been seeing things in a way that might not be totally correct. Yeah. You know, that's a terrifying thing to have to wrap your head around. Um, yeah. You know, and that's something that was hard for me to process as a kid when my dad died. You know? mm-hmm. I had this understanding that my dad was a superhero. He would be around for the rest of my life. Yeah. And, you know, when he died, that reality was shattered. And I've been trying to cope with that subconsciously ever since, you know. Um, and yeah, I think facing that fear, um, addressing it, naming it, and just talking about it, you know, whatever it might be, whatever that darkness might be in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, that's how you're going to be able to move through it and overcome it and, you know, by that process, become better for it. Yeah. The naming, what you just mentioned, the naming part is so um, important and difficult. It's almost like, it's like, because you got to ask yourself those questions, you know, like the deeper questions. Well, what it, what is really bothering me? What what am I really missing out here? Or what what how do I really feel? It's not like I, I was listening to a great lecture on nonviolent communication. They were talking about how we often express I feel misunderstood, you know, or I feel um, that you don't understand me, you know. But this is not really how we feel, you know. This it's it's more like we feel that we have a need we feel the need for connection with other people but that person or that element or that thing or that moment is actually not fulfilling or or needs for that and seeing it and being able just having the clarity to see it is is something that's very i, I feel like it's something to practice <laughs> yeah uh, it, it definitely doesn't come naturally because we've been programmed in in the opposite way most of the time uh, yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure some people have been but I haven't. <laughs> it's more like trying to understand what's wrong with others versus what's wrong with me. You know, what's wrong with the word? Um, yeah, I mean, bro, you're part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to break break out of that um, that perspective yeah. because your ego, you know, holds you in there. Yeah, and it's yeah, but it's kind true. of essential if you want to go beyond. Do you do you feel that that made you a better storyteller over the years? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that um, for a long time, I was just kind of pursuing stories that were stories that I found interest and power in. Um, mm-hmm. And just in the last like four or five years, most of the storytelling that I've tried to facilitate and, uh, and do has, at least as far as the bigger projects go, are ones where I'm kind of stepping out of myself, trying to find growth in that empathy for other people. Mm. Uh, yeah, I worked on a short documentary film a handful of years ago now called Adventure Not War, where I uh, went to uh, Northern Iraq with a group of veterans from the US war in Iraq and uh, climbed and skied the highest peak in the country and um, told their story of reconciliation and re-experiencing this place that had held a lot of trauma and pain for them. And it was through that experience that I like really saw the power and you know, bringing the ability that I had as a storyteller to the table to lend to these other people and empower them and in their emotional being. Yeah. Um, 
and coming out of that, I, I definitely like recognized that I wanted to promote more of that and the efforts that I was putting forth. Was it, speaking of that project, was it easy to convince them to go or, or did you have to convince the, the um, so Stacy, the main character was the one who kind of, uh, put the whole trip together. It was his idea to go back to Iraq and climb and ski this peak. And, um, he asked me if I would come on and make the film mm -hmm. and, uh, invited some folks that he knew to come along These two other veterans who, who ended up coming on the trip, Robin and Griff. Um, so it was really Stacy like stepping up to the plate and putting that story of his on the line. And, you know, I think that through our relationship that we forged on that trip, we were able to access this higher level of, of empathy with one another and understanding of one another so that we could tell that story effectively. Um, I, I think that storytelling is an, an immersive experience. It has to be. Mm -hmm. If you're actually going to affect uh, some sort of emotional impact from a story, like you have to be in it with your characters um, you can't just be a parachute yeah. parachute storyteller come in and you know document something that's totally outside of yourself and then bail uh, yeah. guys tell, tell me everything about your experience I, I got a plane to catch in two days to wrap this up yeah and uh, you know I don't think I would want it to be any other way because that's the biggest value that I have found in storytelling mm -hmm. is that rich experience and perspective that comes from radical empathy you know? yeah just totally opening up to the experiences of others and, hmm. and do you have open to receiving them when you when you're mentioning receiving them do you have a way or like wh what do you think is the driver for people to actually open up during those those shorts those documentaries you're you're doing is there you know like some interviewers use different kind of techniques or like language or ways to get there or like just trying to relate is there something you use or would you say it's just time time spent together in a way um i mean i i think that you know similarly to how i approached my family film you know i and it's an extreme example of it but you know i'm a character in the story in the sense that it's about my interactions with my family Mm -hmm. Well, at the same time, I'm the director of the film and I'm having to script out all the interviews and figure out what we're going to shoot and what is going to be part of these scenes. And so you kind of have to operate in this dual sphere of understanding where on one hand, you're, you're looking at how you want to tell the story and mm -hmm. what is going to be an impactful piece of that story arc. Well, at the same time, being a character within that story and whether or not you're actually in the story, like you want to be in it with your characters. You have to put the time in with, you have to be around them enough and make them feel like you care about them. You know, if you actually want people to open up and engage um, and get those real moments, then they have to feel like you're invested yeah. in, in their efforts as well. And I think that is becoming more and more as documentary storytelling becomes this kind of like uh, economically driven mm -hmm. tool by which to tell branded stories, you know, characters <laughs> recognize the fact yeah. that 
you as a storyteller are getting paid. Yeah. And, you know, they have to be getting something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, you see more and more of those. Speaking of the, the branded storytelling, uh, I've been impressed by the amount of content that's been created around those for the past three, four, five years. Um, I would say even more two years. I don't know. That's how I see it. But uh, around brands that are, I, I feel like every time I look again on YouTube or the algorithm feeds something to me, I'm just surprised there isn't yet another brand that's getting into it, which I find beautiful because it tells a lot of story. But I, I, I can't imagine the challenge it is, like you mentioned, for telling the story of someone knowing that there's a brand behind and there's like all those like financial uh, things involved. Not that mm -hmm. it shouldn't be, just like I feel like it's, it's, it may, it's adds a layer, you know, so... Yeah, it just complicates the process. I mean, in can, like in pure purest documentary form, like you should never compromise that relationship with your subject and like regard mm -hmm. them as a paid entity because once someone's paid to be a part of something, it just changes their relationship to the project. Yeah. You know, documentary films are supposed to be editorial in the way they approach storytelling. Yeah. You know, it should be completely raw and told just for the sake of telling a story that matters mm -hmm. um and the fact that 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 has been taken and kind of monetized and bastardized a little bit yeah. <laughs> in, in our modern market of content um you know it just makes it a little bit more complex uh when you're trying to tell stories that are true and, mm. and empathetic and real yeah yeah you don't want them to turn into actors <laughs> Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to put it on a show. No, 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 please. <laughs> please don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I, I, I'd love to dive into something completely uh, different right now, just because a lot of people listening are in the photography or videography sphere. If I have that weird question for you. If you were to be dropped either on an island or at the top of a mountain and you could choose only one piece of gear in terms of camera equipment. And so let's say one camera body, one lens, uh, and it can't be a zoom lens. Uh, what would you take with you? Hmm. Probably my iPhone, to be honest. Oh. Uh, I mean, I, I love all the cameras that I've been able to work with over the yeah. years, but honestly, I think the iPhone is probably one of the more versatile tools that you'd be able to always have on your pocket like yeah. no matter where you are or what you're doing it shoots video and photos at a pretty high quality nowadays um and it's super incognito yeah um you, know, you, you can document things with it that you probably just would never be able to with a big camera in a way that you can with with a, a phone mm -hmm. um yeah there's this this uh story that was shot by a National Geographic photographer a handful of years ago that I um, was really impressed by about death. Uh, like this, this last, this last bit of life before death, mm -hmm. this last moments of life. And she shot the whole assignment on her phone because a camera would have been this imposing force in those yeah. very intimate moments. Um, and to be there at all felt imposing the phone allowed her to, to document those things without feeling like she was stepping into that other person's reality too much. Yeah. Um, huh. 
So yeah, that's the surprise. Weird answer, but. <laughs> it's a, it's a no. It's a great answer. Well, for two reasons, because you're clearly someone who's accomplished a lot of things in that world, and you're falling back on the phone, which I get messages all the time. What camera should I buy? I've only been shooting with my phone, and my answer is like, just keep shooting with your phone until you can afford a camera. Don't try to buy just any camera. First of all, you can do so much with your phone. You know, there's so many advantages of using a phone versus something else yes there's like disadvantages like technically you won't have and even now with portrait mode and stuff like a lot of most people won't be able to tell much uh let's be let's be really honest yes it's different also the way you shoot it but it, it allows you such a freedom yeah um, it's it and that part is is beautiful for keeping those interactions as unique as possible like as intact i would say yeah and i mean if you're like setting off with some sort of direct intent or a project in mind like obviously you want to have the right tools but yeah i find myself shooting so much with my phone because as a photographer and storyteller like my eye is just attuned to finding moments in the world as i move through it that i want mm -hmm. to capture because it brings me joy yeah and being able to pull my phone out and have a camera that is able to capture those moments in relative high quality is just like the most amazing thing and i feel like we don't recognize how amazing it is <laughs> like when i you know i think about like my first cell phone you know that yeah had like a two megapixel camera or something like that and how <laughs> far we've even. come <laughs> in the last 10 years yeah. it's like it's, it's pretty remarkable yeah uh, i i get what you mean because i had those well i kind of the phone reminds me of those disposable cameras you know the carton box ones mm -hmm. that no one would care about ever you know you would put it in your pocket and you would pull it out take your one photo or two photos if you were feeling crazy uh <laughs> and then like but their interaction with people was like no one cared if someone pulled out a different camera like bigger or that made noise or whatever even those times you you're like oh what's happening um and that's the, and the phone literally brings that gap where like no one cares almost and uh it's it looks great nowadays and you can do something with it actually you don't have to compromise uh, that yeah. much which is really cool well okay so i'll write that down everyone's gonna be like okay i'm dumping my camera tomorrow <laughs> and i have three cameras and what five six lenses on my desk right now but <laughs> yeah, i think i have probably four or five cameras in my office right now and you know 15 yeah. lenses so yeah That's boys are fun too it's beautiful we're talking with a project uh about a project with uh the people involved just earlier before and we're talking about the emotions and the storytelling aspect of it and i kept i keep reminding people that there's stories that are shot like garbage on 320 pixels and every time you rewatch them it still makes you cry or it gives you any uh, an emotional reaction and and like if you're able to achieve that before getting any quality i feel like you've already won no matter oh, yeah. if, if your camera is smudged and there's dirt all over it <laughs> yeah i mean i think the best class would be like forcing students to recognize how to tell good stories yeah first and never being able to like focus on technological toys yeah yeah because i true. think it's so easy to get lost in like 
thinking that your tools are going to make you better. Yeah. Oh, look <laughs> when at really, <laughs> when really what makes you a good storyteller is what's in your mind yeah. and in your heart. That's that, yeah, that's so powerful. Absolutely. How do you, um, what kind of advice would you give to a young, let's say filmmaker or photographer that, that kind of getting started in the world or someone that's actually trying to transition career? Is there either a book or a resource or an advice you would, you would direct them towards? Um, I don't know. I, I mean, honestly, as cliche and blown out as it is, like social media is a pretty good platform to find inspiration still. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Instagram has changed the world of storytelling and photography in ways that we can't even fathom. But it's also where I find tons of inspiration on a daily basis. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you have access to storytellers from every corner of the world on there. You know? Yeah. Back in the day, you had to go to the pages of National Geographic to see images shot by the best photographers on the planet. Um, and you know they're still there beautifully presented but at the same time you can step into the intimate worlds of the best storytellers on earth uh on the internet and who, who um, would you recommend people to check out on that and do you have like a few people you really admire in that space yeah i mean uh i look i've grown up looking looking up to photographers like uh, jimmy chin and renan ozturk Corey mm. Richards, who were all climbing partners and friends of my dad. Um, but I also, um, you know, came up in my own right as a storyteller and photographer and filmmaker with, with peers of mine who I admire immensely. Um, mm -hmm. Elliot Ross, uh, my friend Forrest Woodward, um, Joey Schusler, um, friends that I've just met in recent years, uh, And filmmakers Alexandria Bomback, who directed an amazing doc called On Her Shoulders a couple of years back. Uh, Bing Liu, who did uh, the documentary Mining the Gap. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that the amazing thing about where we're at in the world right now is, you know, you can watch a film, mm -hmm. be inspired by it, seek out the director's Instagram page and send them a message and be like, hey, like, Your work is amazing. Like, yeah. um, you know, do you have any advice for me? Or I have this project that I think is really cool that I'm trying to work on. Like, do you have any thoughts? And, you know, maybe they won't get back to you, but like, maybe they will. And that's a pretty remarkable possibility yeah. to have presented to us. Yeah. It's, it's a chance you have to take, like <laughs> it's, it's free. It takes five minutes. Just grab yeah. a good message and send it out. You don't know what will happen after. Mm -hmm. That's that's so true. You being on the receiving ends, do you how do how do you do you like that? The fact that you can put out a project like that and and get feedback from people instantly is it something you look forward? To? I mean, look forward in the sense that you're you're happy it, it's available for you as a filmmaker. Yeah, I mean, I think that half of the process of telling stories is seeing how they impact beyond your own perspective you know um going back to torn it's like I, i feel like this project that i have now completed is only half done because even though the movie's finished it hasn't been released into the world and yeah i don't know how it will impact people um, yeah you know i have hopes and aspirations and um things that i that i hope it will do for people 
but yeah, it's not really until I get that feedback that I feel like I'll really understand the magnitude or gravity of what that effort accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's, so getting uh, that feedback is important. I, yeah, that's, I love your way of seeing that, especially like it's like you're closing the loop. It's like you have the intention of creating that project for a specific reason and then you put it out there and which is something, I mean, we would never have dreamed of that 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, like mm -hmm. actually getting feedback, not from the critiques who's kind of posting the magazine that your movie was like, I don't know, 20 seconds too long on those scenes and no one cares, uh, but actually from people who are not experts, but got positively impacted by those you know, uh, by those yeah. stories. And those are the, you know, after we released Adventure Not War, you know, I got yeah. quite a few messages from veterans um, who had watched the film and uh, had some sort of personal impact from it and shift in their own perspective on how they had served their own reality. Um, yeah. And, you know, they reached out to me with questions or just wanted to say hi and recognize that. Yeah. for themselves and you know those those are some of the most valuable things that i have found in my career yeah just okay. feeling feeling that you impacted someone else in a positive way is one of the yeah. most amazing things that's so cool that's so cool i can't even imagine you know those like directors or like people who had impact back in the days but mm -hmm. never some of them never actually knew the impact they had you know it's like Yeah. It's, it hits differently receiving an email or, or DM saying like someone ex actually expresses something happened because of stupid movie you made, you know, I mean, stupid, like just spend time filming stuff. And now <laughs> it changes people's life. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Max, I want to, I want to kind of be mindful with your time and, um, I want to wrap up, but I have a question. Something has been like blowing up lately. And it's around NFTs. Have you heard of it? So you don't think? Okay, I think okay. NFTs is that's perfect. Then <laughs> NFTs are like non-fungible tokens, which are built on the blockchain for cryptocurrency, which is what we know about the blockchain. Most people know it for the cryptocurrency. Um, what it allows us to do as humans is shifting the ownership of a physical product or asset a painting a, a film whatever you want shifting it into the digital world and tracing it from the moment it's created forever knowing who got it who exchanged it if money or like price was involved and for perpetuity feeding back every time it's resold money or like a share of the transaction to the original creator so let's say you're creating your next short film and you're like you know what i'm gonna mint it's called minting so you're creating that certificate that's embedding the file or the, the project or wh whatever you you're like creating your digital art or movie let's say and you create some kind of certificate that's sent in the blockchain and that's living in the blockchain with the original file and with the if you want deed of ownership and people can pass that on Now you as as a creator, as you can actually, let's say your next movie, you want to release it, right? But what if you put for auction five copies, five original copies, or just the one, the first edition of that movie on the blockchain, on the, on the crypto world. And this is so amazing because 
instead of, you know, you would sell a photo and someone would resell it if you became famous or not, or just like resell it to other people, you would never know that as an artist. You would never get anything out of it uh, in the future, which kind of sucks, you know, when you become a bigger artist and people held on to it and, and you're like, oh, too bad. Uh, a lot of artists died of, yeah, starving. Let's put it that way at the end of their career. Now, this allows for all the sales or, or the resales in the future, you as the artist will actually collect uh, something out of it. And so we're moving the physical art into the digital world. And I highly encourage you to check out what's happening because there's a huge opportunity to, um, to actually get in the space and uh, see how it can benefit. We have a lot of musicians right now who are releasing their first tracks uh, or even who with like... Who was it? Um, what's their name? Gosh, I forgot. Uh, one of the rock band that's pretty famous uh, that just released a, a track and it's there and people can only have like 500 of them, right? And, 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 and so it's, it gives power to the artist to actually, in a way, get compensated for their work beyond just having to sell with brands or get brand stuff or... Or, you know, like having to go through galleries, it actually democratizes and uh, the, the art world, which, which is pretty incredible. So if you're Sounds curious. Sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. If you're curious. Uh, yeah. You can even imagine. Yeah. It's, it's just crazy. There, it's like endless possibilities. Sweet. I'll yeah. have to look into it. Yeah. Oh, and you can also <laughs> say that another person will get a share of it forever. Once it's created, it's forever. So you do it and you want to say that two of your partners that worked on it are going to get something on every sale too, if it gets sold or if it gets collected, it, it, that's it forever. It's, it's so same weird. as Bitcoin. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's built on Ethereum network, uh, gotcha. use the technology to, to build that. Um, but it's, it's a long segment because I'm diving real deep into it right now. And, um, a lot of people are. And uh, there is a stupid thing being made right now, a stupid and, and really interesting and beautiful way. Cool, man. Sweet. Well, thanks for the lowdown. You're welcome. I think, I think you'll see something, uh, how it can help, especially make those, oh, what's going to be my next project, less of a stretch and more of a like, I'm excited for the next one because I, I have a lot more control over how things are distributed, you know, in the future. But yeah. Cool. Max, where should people check out your work? What specific, like maybe a specific video you want to direct them towards a project? Yeah, I mean, um, you can go ahead and follow me on Instagram at max.low, L-O-W-E. Uh, mm -hmm. My website is maxlowmedia and look for my new feature documentary film coming out here this fall tour. Make sure you, yeah. Everyone, I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. And uh, that way everyone can just go click and, and know exactly where it is. Uh, cool. But Max, thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. I think we could dive a lot deeper, but uh, for round one, it's going to be awesome to give a taste yeah. to people. Yeah, thank you so much for the conversation. It was great. Before you go, quick question. Would you like to receive twice a month for free 
my top five email. It's an email that I craft with love and passion in which I share what inspired me recently, books and film that had an impact on me, but also things I've been thinking about, gear, tips and photos that I absolutely love. If that resonates with you, if you want to peek into that universe, please join thousands of other readers. Sign up for free at ptl.fm forward slash top five. That's ptl.fm forward slash top five. Thank you so much and have a beautiful day. Remember, try something different, try something new.